Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Changemaking Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. Each episode will introduce an area of technology that needs work and highlight the changemakers working on it. Join Chloe and guests as they tap into their passion about equity and rights for all. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to another episode of the ITSP Magazine, The Changemaking Podcast. And today, we're going to talk about sustainability. And with us is Kevin Bayuk, the co-founder of Lift Economy and Senior Financial Fellow of Project Drawdown. Thanks, Chloe. Happy to be here. So, Kevin, can you share a little bit about yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, I have a background in kind of technology entrepreneurship and enterprise software kind of vocationally, but I had a hard kind of stop in that as I was trying to work on more social and environmental kind of problems. And I left one of the companies I had started and went and lived on a farm and learned how to grow food and build shelter with my hands and kind of get in touch with what my, what our physical needs are as humans and learned about ecosystemic design and permaculture. And then after that experience kind of returned to the world of supporting um, businesses and entrepreneurs, but informed with the sense of what are the possible solutions to so many of the social and ecological challenges or crises that we face as a species. So Kevin, my first question for you is that we have a good number of listeners that work in tech and in cybersecurity. Do you mind sharing a little bit about the current state of climate change and why they should be kind of concerned at this time? Sure. Um, So whatever you want to believe about climate change, the, and there's lots of potential competing belief systems what is objectively true is that we have the phenomenon of global warming and the warmest years in recorded human history have been happening more frequently over the last decade. Um, And the prognostications of global mean temperature by all the data we have um, from the world of science suggests that these warm years that we've had will be the coldest of the next century. So we're in a warming trend and that warming is having lots of interesting effects. Um, First and foremost, the earth is shedding its ice. So in the Arctic North and in Antarctica and other glaciers around the world, there's a tremendous amount of melting And this disruption to kind of the hydrologic cycle of the melting of water and increase of water vapor and the heating of the ocean, all of these kind of combined effects are having a systemic impact on climate, the patterns of weather. And so you probably could think about your own lived experience or just what you might see on the news. What global warming and climate change really mean for humanity is an extremism of events. So 
in 2020, it hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the Arctic Circle, the warmest, hottest day in recorded history occurred. There's a significant rise in the largest wildfires conflagrations in Australia and the Mediterranean region and coastal California or California in general, the, the American West, the Pacific Northwest. There's also this extremism, the hurricane season in 2020 was a record-breaking year um, for the number of hurricanes. In the same year, uh, the snowiest October ever recorded in the Midwest occurred. Um, so the worst floods on record in China costing $30 billion happened in 2020. Um, Africa, Sudan had the worst flooding in a hundred years. Um, the number of billion dollar extreme weather events is increasing according to the CDP. Um, so the, that's the forecast for the rest of our lives. So if you're alive and listening to this, uh, the rest of your life and your children's life and your grandchildren be experiencing an onslaught of extreme weather events. The and that is hard for life to adjust to plant life, farming, you know, all the aspects of the way in which we meet our needs. And that's, um, to me, the, the important part. Other things I could say, Chloe, is um, the, if you're thinking about global warming and climate change, there's also long-term impacts that are kind of not disputed in, in terms of anybody's belief systems. Is, and that's that the sea level is rising because of this melting of the ice. And in some cases, it might be a still be a couple decades before we feel the impact of that. Uh, but definitely if you're, if you're you know, in your forties or in your fifties even, um, it will definitely hit in your lifetime. And if you're younger than that, it's a guarantee it's going to affect your life. That the, on the coasts, there will be a rise in, in the sea levels, which will disrupt the functioning of sewage treatment facilities or wipe out roads or uh, international airports and ultimately impact human settlement in our coastal areas. And there already are millions of people around the world who are migrating away from the coast every year. And that will only continue every year for the rest of your life. And there's a moment when you consider the gravity of that, that it's actually gonna impact geopolitical situation and, and ultimately it will come back to affecting your life in a very deep and dramatic way, no matter where you live on earth. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I, I know that there are companies right now, especially tech companies that are making these pledges of net zero by 2050. What are your opinions about the net zero um, term? And also these companies are making pledges. Or do you actually see them doing the work 
of it are they actually assessing or is it kind of like a pledge that doesn't have any action behind it? I'm both and there, the, there's a lot of pledges. Many of them are just rhetorical, say the right words and say that we're committed to something and hope that it doesn't affect your brand or your, the popular opinion of the company, depending on who your customers are, or to be compliant with some of the reporting requirements if you're a publicly held company. To, so making some of these pledges, right now we're seeing some action, we're seeing a lot of rhetoric. Um, and in general, you could think of net zero pledges as really important and wholly inadequate. So it's kind of essential that we begin taking steps and, and maybe one step is to make a pledge and then start to explore the options. And the best options, of course, would be to kind of like if you imagine you had a bathtub and you were filling it up with water and it was starting to overflow, um, what would be the first thing that you would do, Chloe, if it was overflowing and you had the water on? I would probably remove the stomper. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sink the water down. What you might do is also turn off the tap, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I could do yeah. that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, and you might want to do both, but if you turn off the tap, that means reducing our emissions. And so the problem with net zero thinking is a lot of net zero rhetoric and pledges and actions are based on the idea of not turning off the tap but finding ways to just deal with the stopper or just to catch the water that's overflowing into different buckets and offsetting and that kind of thing. So the, the big challenge for the economy and industry in general will be to dramatically every year reduce emissions. And that requires, um, that's difficult because your competitors, if they don't do the same, their cost of business will be lower because they'll externalize those, those impacts. So there is opportunities for innovation and ingenuity, absolutely, all across the board, almost in every industry. But the, the world needs better mechanisms to coordinate a massive reduction, multilateral reduction of emissions. So net zero, really important and wholly inadequate. So what can companies do or why should they do something about this? If I tend to find that sometimes companies push back on doing anything in sustainability because they don't see what's in it for us. It's going to cost us more for sustainability. However, you know, what is it worth the costs associated with it? It's, it's a tricky question, right? Because companies are in a bind depending on what kind of company they are. If we were talking, if we were talking about privately held companies that are not subject to public equities markets and shareholders, um, then there's a lot of latitude that the privately held company can um, has in terms of their decision making about what type of burdens they might take on to remain competitive and yet take dramatic action. Um, when you're talking about public companies, there's a different kind of set of mandates and pressures that they're responding to and a different set of oftentimes competitive pressures as well. And so 
companies that will likely find that if they take that adequate climate action, um, it will come in most cases, though there's some room for innovation in certain places, it will come as a net cost to the organization. And so no matter how well-intentioned the executive leadership is, or even the board, to make decisions to burden the company with the cost of the adequate actions, if that comes at a cost to shareholders, it's likely that those individuals in the board or the executives will be turned over until somebody makes the decision. That's the bind of our economy and the way it's structured is that the incentives to do the right things that are necessary for the survival of humanity um, are almost impossible to make with the existing system. Yikes, it's pretty scary. But that's the situation a lot of companies find themselves in. Yeah, sometimes when I talk about sustainability with other companies, it seems like they're never going to grasp how bad the situation is right now with climate change, unless they themselves were surrounded by water all around them and just noticing that something isn't right. But even that is not even enough. It's still this denial. And I, I think in some ways you think of the pandemic where, you know, if, if, you know, COVID caused people to be zombies and they could physically see it before them, then they probably would change their attitude towards the pandemic a bit. And so it's kind of like that scene is believing situation. Um, do you have any practice in this area or any suggestions on how people can work with that, especially if they're trying to bring it to their board and be like, hey, we should probably start doing something about this. How do they change those nares to, okay, let's roll up our sleeves? Yeah, well, I wish I had a more kind of optimistic response in terms of public companies. I think to organize shareholders and um, organize employees, um, whoever the stakeholders that have some bearing on either the cost of capital or the cost of the organization, um, so in some cases, this might be organized labor and unions or organized customers uh, in the form of boycott, but actually taking collective action to, if you will, force the hand of people in decision-making roles, executive leadership, board roles, where they can then say to shareholders, hey, I have no choice but to make the right action with regards to climate. As long as there's the option to not take action, I'm afraid that they won't. I know that sounds terribly cynical, but no matter how self-evident the problem is, no matter how self-evident the solutions are, if it runs contrary or counter to the incentives of our economic system, which in many cases it will, they won't make the right decision. Um, and not because they're flawed humans or they're, they're dumb or stupid uh, or evil. I don't believe those things per se. It's that they're trapped in a system that incentivizes the worst options for humanity. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I was thinking very similar on this, right? It's kind of one of those things where you try to have some positivity around it, but you're just you're really not seeing the results that you're hoping that people would take. Um, do you think that globally we'll be able to hit the 2050 mark? Or do you think it's not going to be within 
2050? Um, so we have the possibility to do it um, with a, kind of a spontaneous collaboration. Dramatic, dramatic action is needed where an incredible affluent world is incredibly wasteful um, with both our energy and our agricultural production systems. There's a tremendous amount of room to be more efficient to transition um, energy sources. There's a lot of action to be taken um, that could create a world where year over year, the atmospheric content of carbon dioxide is decreased or greenhouse gases is decreased um, to reach a drawdown world by say 2050. It's totally within the physical realm of possibility. The challenge that we have will be how ready are we to transform our culture and our economic system. And right now, the, there's not good signs that we're going to be willing to do that. That said, and this is, again, the cynical piece or unfortunate piece is every year for the rest of our lives, more people that you know and you yourself are likely to experience more and more extreme impacts from global warming, climate change, the biodiversity crisis, and the pain of living in denial or living without action will just increase for more and more people. And so the possibility of responding, you know, either reactively to that situation or proactively, if you're more sheltered and privileged, um, the, I think I have some hope. There's also, you know, if I sound completely cynical and like a total bummer, there are millions of people around the world right now, today, every day who are working on what we could call solutions or resolving the conditions that enable the possibility for a new economic system and an, and an emergent culture that actually creates and enhances biodiversity, that stabilizes the carbon cycle, that stabilizes the hydrologic cycle, that produces food and fuel and uh, medicine and all the things that we need and shelter in ways that are beneficial to life. People are working on it. Um, and that I would say is the most, if you say, what can people do? Certainly to organize um, you know, within your company, organize within your community, organize as a shareholder, whatever role you're playing to get more people to exert more and more pressure on the existing system at large to transform is stuff that you can do. But you can also, you know, and this will sound very blunt and maybe I know Pollyannish because not everybody listening can do this, but change your career. Do something that matters. Now is the time. <laughs> your grandchildren are watching. This is the opportunity. The average American spends like 80,000 hours in their vocational livelihood. Now is the time to work on the possibilities and the solutions. Um, and I know like that for some of some people listening, like they're like, what, you want me to quit my job and threaten my own security to like work, work on climate change and global warming? And my blunt answer is yes. Take up the call. Yeah. I mean, I remember last year I flew just once, but when I was flying, I thought that we were flying through fog or something. 
And it wasn't, it was the smoke from the trees beyond fire. But at the same time, while I was on that flight, I was watching a documentary about the fashion industry and what it's been doing um, to our planet. And I think that was like the hit moment where it's like, I can't just not do something. And yeah, you're right. This is, there's never a better time than to suddenly be like, you know what? I want to do something about it. And that could be also people want to volunteer, you know, there, there's ways how to do it. And even in your own household, such as, do you really need to buy that product? That's like the first number one step. Do I need this or do I not need it? Cause it's a lot of us not thinking through when we purchase And that leads me to my next question is how can individuals assess their own footprint Mm -hmm. and how can companies start assessing their own footprint? Yeah. Well, for, for both for individuals and for companies, there are online, you know, footprint calculators that are oftentimes based on averages, where you live, what type of grid is, providing electricity, how much you travel um, as an individual or collectively within the company, how much you're moving materials around. And those are based on averages and proxies, but you can get on the scale by filling out some simple questionnaires to get your eco footprint or your carbon footprint as a person or as a company. And for companies, there's a jargon to it where they talk about scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. And scope one and scope two are usually pretty easy to measure um, relatively. It's both a combination of your direct emissions from your activities as a company and then your purchased of purchases of mostly electricity and other liquid fuel and the emissions related to those purchases of um, emission purchases of Um, utilities that create emissions elsewhere. Scope three is a little bit more daunting and oftentimes requires a internal effort to follow some of the guidelines for measuring. Um, It's kind of the extended impact of the activities in your company. So if you're a company that has a supply chain, for example, of raw materials, noting and measuring the impact of those materials way upstream of the finished product that you might deliver to the market. Um, Scope three is taking all of that into consideration Um, and the whole life cycle, like what happens after the consumption event, or if you're a goods producer or whatever it is. And scope three is, um, yeah, there are guidelines to follow. um, So it can be done as an internal project. And there are professional service providers as well, consultants that will help companies kind of assess their scope three emissions. For a company collectively, your scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions would be your overall kind of carbon footprint or greenhouse gas emissions footprint. Um, For an individual, um, any of these calculators are very useful to get on the scale, but I would encourage you to also maintain a uh, perspective on it that to remind yourself that the proxy of the averages that are being used are just an estimate, still very useful. So you can look at the actions that you could take to reduce your emissions, 
um, you know, which could be around transportation or food purchases or consumption in general, like you're suggesting. There's lots of actions that we can all take. Um, of course, those are good things to do. Uh, they're also, um, it's the combination earlier of like the individual action and our collective action um, as a society and as a culture. Those, those they go hand in hand and they're not uh, mutually exclusive. A lot of times people will say like, yeah, but I'm such a drop in the bucket. My, my personal actions and behaviors aren't going to change the world. And, and, and maybe not necessarily that, you know, biking to work instead of, you know, driving a car one time or a couple times a week might not change the world, but it's not mutually exclusive. It's not that it's all your responsibility. The system affects, you can also simultaneously be organizing in your community or in your office place or um, at whatever level of agency you have while you're also transitioning your personal habits and behaviors. Both things can happen at the same time. So Kevin, if you had one takeaway for companies of why they should start exploring sustainability and one takeaway for our listeners as an individual, and what they can do to start taking responsibility and to get involved in sustainability actions. What are those takeaways? For a company, it's hard to say because there's a situational specificity, the context for every company, but in general, as a company um, right now, to there's a couple of reasons. One, for many industries, not taking climate action will be existential. Uh, the existence of the company in its current form will be threatened in a longer term horizon without taking action. Um, on a nearer term horizon, because there's a, this latent action um, if you are a first mover and you're able to establish, if you have a, if you're a company, for example, that has a brand and has uh, a consumer brand where reach and positioning to consumers that care matters, then you have a chance to be a first mover and be ahead of the rest of the competition. So there's a competitive advantage to taking a stance on your values and communicating your action. Um, so both kind of like carrot and the stick. The, the carrot is that you can um, actually expand your base of customers by taking action and communicating about it. Uh, pretty cynical perspective, but you can. And then the, the stick would be that for many industries, not taking action is an existential risk to the long-term viability of the company. So I would take... I would look at both actions, um, both reasons to take action. And as an individual, um, you know, was the question clearly, why would an individual act or, or what would an individual do? <laughs> yeah, what can an individual do what can an to individual get involved into sustainability? Yeah, I would say the first thing to do is to, you know, educate yourself on what's possible. Um, it's deeply important in this time of fear and, um, with the pandemic and fires and floods and extremism, there's a lot of things to be afraid about, but it's important to know that a livable and thriving future is possible. And to educate ourselves, to raise our eco-literacy is the first step. 
um, the more you know about not only the problems, but what's possible. That's some of the work that at Project Drawdown we tried to popularize with a, a book that became a New York Times bestselling book um, is to show that the solutions exist. Um, we know what to do as humanity and all we need is our collective human attention on those solutions. So join the team, you know, get, become part of the solution by raising your eco-literacy, learning about what's possible, and then you'll find your way. You know, maybe it is changing your career. Maybe it is organizing, you know, in your school, in your community, in your office, um, becoming involved in local government, national government, or global governance. There's lots of actions that each individual can take. Um, but the first step is probably just becoming more educated and more aware. Thank you, Kevin. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast with me today. If anyone has any questions for Kevin, uh, there will be links below of his social media so you can get in contact with him. Thanks, Chloe. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Changemaking Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.